This episode was made possible by Private Internet Access. Browse the web safely and anonymously while changing your IP address to almost any country on Earth. Get two months free and prices as low as $3 per month by following my exclusive link below. When you use a public Wi-Fi hotspot, your data is completely unprotected. Hackers and identity thieves can grab anything. Embarrassing photos? Your web history? Start browsing anonymously and only share what you want to share. I actually kind of like this photo. <laughs> Private internet access. It's time to protect your online privacy. On this episode of Meet My Inspiration, I speak to Eric Roberts. Eric is an Academy Award and Golden Globe-nominated actor and one of the busiest actors in Hollywood, with over 600 acting credits to his name. He's also a wonderful guy that has a great appreciation for the gifts life has given him. And now, please welcome Eric Roberts. Welcome, everyone, to Meet My Inspiration. I'm Chris Minion. My guest today is Eric Roberts. Eric, thanks so much for joining me today on Meet My Inspiration. Of course, it's my pleasure. Uh, Let's start with talking about the Killer's Vault podcast. Can you describe the show and what is your role? Killer's Vault. Wow. It's, there was this couple, it's such a long story, but every step is important. This couple started writing to these serial killers and all at once, one at a time. (laughs) And uh, they responded and they responded. They answered all the questions they were asked. And they developed relationships with these people, with these men. There, I think there's only been one or two, you know, serial killers who are women in the history of serial killing. Anyway, um, and and th- this is a presentation of that correspondence. And uh, I read the killers, and uh, we 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 explore why they are what they are, and it's fascinating. And, uh, and, and, and what they all have in common and what you walk away with, what creates a serial killer, if you want to oversimplify it like that, is child abuse. Is child abuse, you said? Child abuse. Uh, when, you, when, you, when you abuse your baby, you break them. And if you don't help them get well, they don't. Well, it makes sense. It's it's kind of a dark topic. Um, is it a bit unsettling for you? Well, what's what's so unsettling about it is like this. I I told my wife once uh, twenty years ago. I said uh, I don't want to ever play a pedophile, and she said, "Why is that?" I said, "Because you know I'll do it well, and I don't want to. I don't want to do anything well that's that negative. What about the children? You know that kind of thing." And she says to me, do, do you know why they are pedophiles? Why there are pedophiles? I said, why? And she said, because they, as children, were violated. Yeah, she yeah. Said, it's, it's that circle. So it's not there, you know, bad guys playing on children. They were preyed upon and they keep the cycle going. And uh, once you know that, it does, of course, excuse it, but you understand it and it gives you empathy and understanding in a way that, that is very grown up and very, very kind. You learn to be kind in your thinking of people. Well, and the podcast comes down to being fascinating stories and they're told very well. So it's actually pretty intriguing. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it, All right. it, uh, as a performer, it was frightening because, yeah. you know, you really dig in, you really do it well, you're going to come across as a nutcase. 
And <laughs> if you halfway do it, you're going to come across as disinterested. So it's a fine line you have to walk, <clears throat> excuse me, in the presentation. But it was so much fun to do, man. It really was. I'm sure. Um, Eric, let's talk about, um, let's go back in your life. So where did you grow up and how would you describe your upbringing? I grew up in a couple of places. Uh, I spent my you know, very early years in New Orleans on a boat uh, and my young years uh, 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 in older grammar school and high school in Atlanta. And then I left home at 18 for New York and uh, was there pretty much forever until um, I got married. And my wife has had your kids out here. They were very young then. So I moved here because I was a married man. How would you describe your upbringing, though, your, your younger years as a kid? Um, rich, uh, tumultuous, artistic, and uh, lonely. But explain what kind of rich you Yeah, I was going to oh, ask about that. I mean, rich like money. I mean, I mean, I mean, rich like a texture, like stuff, you know, rich with stuff, all kinds of stuff, rich that way. And but, it was but lonely as well. Lonely, yes, because, uh, you know, uh, to put it in terms that are that are mechanical and e- easy to understand and to share, I had a terrible stutter as a little boy. Hmm. And when you stutter as a child with, with other kids, you you get ridiculed, and uh, it only makes it worse. And it and it and it only only makes you an outcast because you don't know how to counteract being being an outcast. So you just accept it. And were you uh, an out, were you were you an outcast or were you um, did you kind of shy away from social situations because of your stutter? Uh, both. But because you you like you like shy away because you're not welcome. Hmm. Well, as a kid, is there a person that you that inspired you or that you looked up to in those in those early years? Well, uh, there are several. Uh, uh, the first movie star I ever looked up to was McQueen, and uh, um, I was. I was aware of him as a little bitty boy on a uh, on a Western TV show. And then as a bigger little boy, I was aware of him in my favorite movie called The Sand Pebbles at the time about a World War II naval dude. And uh, and uh, uh, what was the question? Who who did you admire? Who, who inspired you as a child? So Steve McQueen so and for for actors who were men. It was Steve McQueen, and it was also um, uh, uh, who did the werewolf? Lon Chaney Jr. It was also oh. Lon Chaney Jr. Because I was so impressed, even though there's a lot of makeup on have you, I was so impressed with that transition. And as a little boy, I gave I gave I gave the actor a lot of credit. Was there anybody in your life? that was kind of a role model, um, a mentor or an inspiration to you, not, not a movie star, but somebody that you actually interacted with. My uh, father was uh, 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 the only guy who really understood my problem. 
like mm. he never judged me for taking forever to talk and uh and uh also he helped me learn that when i memorized things i didn't stutter so as an actor it was perfect well how did you first become interested in in acting well it was very mechanical uh i had a terrible stutter and uh uh I learned something, you know, one day as a presentation just on my own and uh, and realized I could say it anytime, anywhere to anybody and not stutter. So uh, and I and I told my father the secret. Hey, dad, guess what? When I I don't stutter like cool. And we started to pursue that. And then there was this uh, this world of acting where you learned lines. <laughs> And uh, that that sounds interesting. I can do that and not stutter. That sounds cool. So at like first, it was an exercise. Then it became fun. Then it became a pursuit to be good at it. Then when I got good at it, it became my vocation. Your whole family is full of actors. Um, three generations, I think. Uh, now with your daughter, Emma. What is it about your family that seems to be so drawn to acting? You explained your reason, but it's a whole family uh, pursuit. What is it about your family? Well, imagine this. You're in high school and your brother is a movie star and he's nominated for uh, three Golden Globes, an Academy Award, and he's famous all over the world. That looks inviting. And, um, and you know, so, you know, both my sisters wanted to be actors and uh and so uh uh they are <laughs> well your your mom was an actor as well your daughter is, is a is a well-known actress these days it's um seems to be in the blood i guess right my my mom did some acting i wouldn't i mm. wouldn't i wouldn't call my mom an actor she mm. she she did some acting it was it was it was very minor and very um you know very regional Okay. Uh, so, Eric, you were in a pretty serious car wreck in 1981, I think it was. What in effect did... 81. Yeah. Uh, what effect did that crash have on you long term? That uh, changed my life completely. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I came out of a coma. And um, because I looked like I was okay, but my, but my broken nose, um, uh, I, I, broke, I broke some ribs, all kinds of stuff. But I looked okay. But I would go in, I would brush my teeth, put down my toothbrush, rinse out my mouth and not know where my toothbrush was. That's how my, how my, how my, how my short-term memory was shot. And it was shot for a long time. I had to retrain myself to learn lines and uh, had to really exercise it. And uh, I was, I was, I was, you know, frightened until really, August of that year, that was June, July, August, I come home from the hospital and, um, and there was a play that I had made. I, uh, um, I was, I was, I was part of a cast of two and we'd made it a hit off Broadway, Milo O'Shea and myself, and they were, and they were moving it to Broadway. And, um, uh, so here's my first test of my memory and stuff. Got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Well, um, I went to to a recreate what I had done off Broadway. And I was told by the director, no, we're changing it now. I don't want you to be a passionate lunatic. I want you to be much nicer. 
And I said, but I don't want to do that. And she told me either do it this way or you should go somewhere else. I said, okay, see you around. And I left the show and it kind of got around that maybe I wasn't well. So it was a real problem for a while. And uh, then Bob Fosse was casting a movie called Star 80 and <laughs> that he also wrote. And uh, I went and read for him half a dozen times. And then one of our last readings, he said to me, walk around the room for me. I said, okay, I'll walk around the room. He goes, you know, I was told you were crippled. I said, no, I'm not crippled. He said, hmm, I was told by a director you were crippled. I said, it, would, that, would that be Geraldine Fitzgerald, the, uh, the director who, who, who I'd worked with on the play? And uh, he said, yes. I said, well, she's mad at me. You know, she's mad because I walked off on her because you know i didn't want to change what i did and uh he said okay well so um so he and i so then I, it was that that movie you know brought me back in the industry's eyes i was not i was not i was not a mess i was not you know you know in damaged goods i was not lost and um and uh, because and that was a very difficult part it was a very dislikable part and it was a very <laughs> academically had to be accurate portrayal of a part. So it was a very hard job, but I had an incredible leader in Bob Bossy. And but um, obviously, obviously you did very well. But a, a, another effect from the crash, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, is that I think from that point, you started experiencing, uh, I don't know, paranormal activities or seeing ghosts or something like that. Is that, is that, is that correct? I never attributed it to the accident. Mm -hmm. I attributed it to it happening. And, uh, um, and because uh, it was not like one than the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, you know, it didn't you know, mirror each other. And so, um, so no, I never really gave that credit. Um, when did that begin for you though? Was it around the same period of time? And no, I had the accident in 1981, and uh, I think 82, 85, 87, 89, 92. Every once in a while, I had these incredible experiences with some kind of spirit or some kind of something or other. And, uh, but I never attributed it to the accident. But now that you bring it up, there's only one thing I ever experienced like that before the accident, but I've never thought about it in those terms before. So, um, uh, interesting, huh? Definitely interesting. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people would be frightened by something like that. Was it, has it been, cause it's an ongoing occurrence, I think for you, has it been frightening? Is it, weirdly comforting what's 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 the emotion that you feel when you experience these things uh, my accident and my recovery from it and my lack of regaining everything has have been one of the hardest most painful losses of my life like losing a really close family member who knows everything about you and uh, that's how it's felt. And uh, 
it also made me very angry and very uh, done. <clears throat> so what? Done. And then I meet my wife. And she started to slowly undo that about me. Uh, to the point where I started to like it. And inadvertently, indirectly, would ask for more. And she's a giver. And she absolutely rescued me from the loss of myself. And uh, we just had our 29th wedding anniversary. So we've come a long way, many, many miles. And uh, so that's been its own journey, you know? And uh, that has been its own everything. <laughs> Well, you're a lucky man, Eric. Um, you've had some serious struggles with addiction over the years. What finally inspired you to get clean? And is it still a struggle for you? Getting clean. I don't even know what that means, okay? Uh, quite honestly. Um, mm. Now, I've stopped all everything for even years at a time. I will smoke pot now and then now. I do. Uh, I don't do anything else at all. Aspirin. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, that, I, that's all I do. And I, I smoke an occasional joint. And uh, I don't even smoke a joint because I have heart stents. So I, so I vaporize whenever I partake. But, uh, yeah, and pot's so easy to get now. It's not, it's not, like, it's not like anybody's secret. <laughs> so, uh, but, but um uh, yeah, my uh, uh, drug addiction is a cry for help. And when you expose your drug addiction, you're asking that person you expose it to to help you. And um, it's very weak. And it's very um, sophomoric and needy. And... Um, but, you know, you're a drug addict, so you do things that are silly. You do things that are childish. You do things that are immature. You do things that are, that are scared. And um, hence, you're a drug addict. Um, Eric, you've been, uh, you've been called the hardest working actor in Hollywood. You have something like over 600 acting credits to your name, which is very impressive. But it's also a lot of work. Um, where do you get the energy? What do you do to keep yourself fit and ready to go? Well, let me tell you a story. Okay. In 1993, my wife and I had been married, I don't know, a year, 18 months. And my wife says to me, we're hanging out one day. And she says to me, if you could do anything every day, what would it be? I said, I'd be on a movie set every day. I love movies. I love making them. I love what it takes to make them. I love crews. I love what she goes. Well, that's not going to happen. Blah, blah, blah. Then we went on with our lives, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then they take our medium away, film. They take it from us and they give us this ugly HD. And she says to me, well, since we, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're shooting almost everything on HD now, everybody has their own camera. So everybody has their own studio and they're all calling directly for you. I'm getting eight to 30 offers every day from these people who have their own cameras who want to make a movie starring you. Do you want to go do this? 
It's going to be crazy. It's going to be very busy. And it's from all over the world, honey. If we start this, you know, we have a lot of scripts you have to read. We have your two readers. We may have to hire more. And uh, but it'll be it'll be your dream come true. You can be on a movie set every day if we chase this. Do you want to do that, Eric? I said, well, I want to try it. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, okay. But once I start it, you know, the word's going to get out. And, you know, they're going to start calling because they're going to hear it works and blah, blah, blah. She goes, and you can't duck after you say I'm in. You can't say I'm not really in. And I said, okay, let's do this. Well, that was basically, I don't know, 15 years ago. And as we go through this, there's less and less film and more and more HD. So they shoot it faster and faster. And they call me more and more. Because, and uh, what, although I have to admit, when I do, when I do, when, when I am on a set on a Friday and have to fly and travel and be on another set on a Saturday or a Sunday, I will sometimes ask for a cue card. Can I have cue cards for that speech on page 12? I need some help. And they're almost always nice enough to say yes. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they say no, no cue cards. And I say, shush, okay. And um, I struggle. And uh, it is what it is, though. I love the danger zone, especially if nobody gets hurt, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and, um, I love that feeling of, God, I got to get this done and I got to do it well. Here I go, mofo. I love that feeling. And, uh, and I love having people depend on me when they think, I don't know if he can do this because I can. And it just makes me proud. I have fun. And I had this wife who comes from Hollywood royalty anyway. So she gets it. She knows the ABCs of show business. She knows every bit of it. And she the highs, the lows, the ins and outs, and who does what and why. She knows it all. And her parents were both very successful, one in one in television, one in film, both Emmy Oscar winners, blah, 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 huge people. Okay. So I had this in my life. And she and I I like turned to her many days and I say, What do I do? And she goes, well, I would suggest this, this, and this. And I take it. Thank you. I'll try that. And it's almost always perfect. And um, I love her like I love my life every day. And I made her my manager because I found out my agent's assistant called me. This is 20 years ago. She calls me and says, Eric, I got to tell you, this agent, you know, he's, he's a big shot, right? I said, yeah, he's huge. Blah, blah. Yeah, well, he doesn't tell you all the offers you get, you know. And I said, well, why are you telling me this? She goes, because it bothers me, because I know you want to hear about these things. And I said, have you kept a list of them? And she said, yes. I said, can I have the list? And she said, yes. I said, will you fax it to me? There's a fax machine. She does. It was an incredible long list, millions of dollars worth of work that they were turning down to me without telling me for whatever reasons. I don't know. So I fired them. But I told them, you know, like, please don't, you know, smear my name because I have this against you and I will sue you. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to do that. But don't talk about me. And they never did. So I went home that day and I said to my wife, you're the boss. And my wife goes, I can't do this. I said, no, I think you have to. I think I think you're the person that I believe in the most. I, I, you're the person who like gets it and you're smarter than me and I need that and you can do this 
And so she says, okay, we'll try it. Now that was about 15 years ago and we're having a blast. And we've seen the world three or four times for free. And uh, I love my life. I love my wife. I love my job. I just have a great time. That's awesome. Uh, but as a former drug addict, uh, self-admitted <laughs> drug addict, do you think that there's some link between, you know, getting off of drugs or at least most drugs and then just throwing yourself into work so intensely? Of course there is. But see, what it was was not was not getting off drugs to, to work, but it was like the the drugs, you know, replaced the work I wanted, but was told it was way too precious you can only do it every 18 months don't you dare do it more than that you ruin yourself and I believed them and I would get bored and I would get testy and I would get unhappy <laughs> and I would do drugs well when I realized I didn't have to make you know, one movie every 18 months I can make a movie every 10 days if I want to because it's on HD they make them quick I, when I when I when I learned that I said well god let's go and my wife helped. My wife said, well, they're calling. Shall I call them back? And I said, yes, and we did. And hence, hence that crazy, that crazy resume. <laughs> it's a great resume. Um, speaking of your resume, which of your many films are you most proud of? And do any like awards or nomination uh, affect that for you? Let me answer the last question first. When Don Amici went home with my Academy Award, I realized not only are they unfair and dishonest, but if you put all your eggs in that basket, you're going to be heartbroken forever. So I took all my eggs out of that basket and I said, let's go to work and never stop. <laughs> and that's kind of what I did because uh, and, and I also decided something very seriously. And the winner is Don Amici for an Academy Award. I was shocked, not because I lost. I was shocked at that too. But I thought Klaus Maria Brandau would win. And if he didn't, I would. That's what I thought. What do I know? Obviously not a lot. So, so, uh, so when, when that happened, I realized... I realized if I ever do win anything, I'm going to take the other nominees into consideration. And I'm going to see every other guy nominated. And I'm going to know if I deserve to win or not. Because that is really all you have to live with. If you do win, it's cool. If you don't win, it's unfortunate. But if you know the other work, it makes it fascinating to be with these guys who are considered as good as you and you're considered as good as them. Here we are together. Us guys, we're the five best, they say. Cool. Who's going to win? God, I hope it's me. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, I mean, if I ever want anything, the first thing I would say, I think, is I have to be honest. I voted for myself. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I, it's just. Uh... Well, you were you were nominated for an Oscar for Runaway Train, and that may or may not be the performance that you're most proud of or the film that you participated in that you're most proud of. What 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 films stand out for you that you're most proud of? 
Well, as you pointed out, I've made a lot of movies. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of favorites. King of the Gypsies, Star 80, Runaway Train, It's My Party, Love is a Gun, Purgatory. Those are my 1% of all my movies that I think are the best. Those are excellent choices. Um, can you think of a, a, another actor or director or somebody that you've worked with in, in Hollywood um, that you learned the most from? I can answer that uh, and also add to that. Who I haven't worked with, who I learned the most from by watching mm -hmm. his work, Kyle Ashby. Who I learned the most from by working with and for him was Bob Fosse. What did you learn from Bob Fosse? Oh, God, where do I start? He was a genius. And that word is abused and overused, so it has no impact. But when you work with a genius, you learn two very definite things. That you're not one and that they are very, very unusual. And when you meet them and you recognize what they are, oh, pay attention because you may not ever meet another one. I mean, they're so unusual. And when you meet one is when you learn how unusual they are because, oh my God, that's one of those. Oh my God, you can't believe it. It blows your mind. I'm just, I'm just an, I'm a very basic, ordinary, run of the mill kind of a guy with an access with an access to to a real emotional plane but i am not a genius or close <laughs> but, but bob bossy was and i yeah. recognized him and he blew me away he gave me the most personal direction i've ever got in my life uh i'm doing a scene with a guitar in my underwear and I messed up the song. And I said, cut. Well, you don't say cut on a Fosse set unless you're Bob Fosse. And he said, what the F are you doing? I said, well, I messed up the song. He said, damn it. He walks away from the set. Come here. And it's this huge soundstage at Zoetrope. They're big soundstages. It's as big as a football field almost. He walks across. Come here. And I got the whole crew there. And I'm in my underwear. And it feels weird. And I walk across there. And I say, what? He says, look at me. I said, I'm looking at you. He goes, look at me. God, I'm looking at you, man. He goes, all right. You're playing me if I weren't successful. Do you understand? <laughs> now, before we ever shot a frame, we spent three months together, traveling, research, meeting people, blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Vancouver, LA, the Playboy Mansion, New York, everywhere. Went all kind for three months. Every day we were together. Okay, so I knew the guy. So on the way back to the set after that little conversation, I I watched how he walked, and I started having Paul walk like him. I basically played Bob Fosse in that movie um, because Bob was very. He was addicted to speed, so he was very hyper. And he was very quietly emotional, quietly angry. And he was a genius. He was monumentally intelligent. You're lucky to have had that experience. Um, so I think you're a fan of the, uh, the HBO show Righteous Gemstones. Is that right? 
why wouldn't I be? They put me in it. <laughs> well, that's what that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, you started watching that show, I think, like a lot of people, um, and you just fell in love with it. I've been watching it. It's an amazing show. Was gonna... my mind that show? <laughs> it's great. And you were a fan before you had any involvement in it, right? I heard they were casting a part in it that's going to be a big major thing, most with John Goodman being old guy grew up with John Goodman's character, blah, blah, blah. And they had an open casting call. I didn't even tell my agent. I just had my wife, my manager wife, my, mm. my boss. I said, to my, I said, let's do this. She, 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 she said to me, you're Eric Roberts. I said, I know who I am. Let's send them on an audition ship. Okay. And we did. And I got the part through auditioning. <laughs> I was so proud of that. And, uh, and I just, I, I have never, since 1982, 83, 84, whenever we shot Star 80, I have never been around a cast, a crew, a location, a vibe as positive and artistic as Righteous Gemstones. And everybody there is a miracle. From craft service to the producers, they're all completely the best at what they do. Everybody. And it's so cool. They, they, they actually put me in their group, dude. It, it, uh, I have never been more, more artistically satisfied in my life. That's awesome. What's, what's your role? What are you, what are you going to be doing on the show? Oh, I'm such an a-hole. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I play a guy. Well, I play this guy who talks like he is. And I grew up with John Goodman. John and I are old friends. Now, when I start, I kind of talk like this. But then as I get successful, which I hope I will, because John's a big wig in the church. You know what I mean? A lot of moolah involved in being a big wig. Okay. And so, you know, I ain't exactly an honest motherfucker. But I tell you what, I can be depended on. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just kind of really, really, I, I'm a bad guy in semi-sheep's clothing. Can't wait to see it. I can't either. I love this group so much. I love my wife, man. They're so great. Uh, Eric, is there a book that you can point to that inspired you? And maybe you're always trying to get other people to read it for, for that inspirational feeling. That you get. Uh, I have a 5,000 book library, but I, I got a lot of inspired books that I would like to mm -hmm. love. But very recently, there have been two books one, uh, Why We're Polarized by Ezra Somebody. Why We're Polarized by Ezra Pond. Sounds familiar. I'm not sure I'm right about the name, but Why We're Polarized. Such a smart book, and it's, it opens up in the mind of the whole, whole misgiving of being polarized. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. And uh, what, uh, Eliza, yeah. what was that, uh, that book I read on... Heritage recently that I was bragging to you about. You 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 had it here on the shelf. I look I was looking for it. Yeah, well, everybody likes Noam Chomsky. That's not special. Anyway, my uh, my oh, my wife was reminding me, we are Chomsky free, blah blah blah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> everybody is. <laughs> that's no that's no big deal. Uh, no, but uh, my most recent finding was, I guess, uh, why we're polarized, because it taught me so much about my petty self in this book, which also, you know, I saw, I saw you, you can 
only see anything through yourself. And so I, I was, I was seeing what this man was saying and it was really having an impact on me and that I am not as put together as I think I am sometimes. Anyway, this is a great book, Why We're Polarized by Ezra Somebody. <laughs> Sounds very interesting. I, I'll check it out. Um, well, Eric, this has been great. I, I've loved hearing about your life and it was really enjoyable conversation. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today on Meet My Inspiration. God, you're so gentle and so sweet. Thank you so much. <laughs> My great pleasure. Thank you, Eric. Many thanks to Eric for such a fun and engaging look at his life. The podcast Killer's Vault is available on iTunes and Spotify. And watch for him on season two of Righteous Gemstones on HBO. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Meet My Inspiration. And I hope we've been able to inspire you too, even if just a little. Sometimes that's all it takes to make great things happen.